Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. At IFG, we really value someone trying to run a halal business without dealing in riba. And we love it when Muslims bring something innovative to the table. And that's why we support Shropshire Hills-based Euro Quality Lamb, the largest Muslim-owned lamb abattoir in Europe. And I've actually been there and they're doing something genuinely impressive. And it has infused within it the Muslim ethos. What's special about Euro Quality is that out of the 15,000 lambs they process every week, they only select a handful of the best breeds of grass-fed lamb for their home delivery service. The meat is cut how you want it. English cuts, desi cuts, barbecue style. You just don't find this stuff at your local butchers. So order online at eurocualitylambs.co.uk forward slash shop and reference Islamic Finance Guru to get yourself a free masala marinade worth £4.50 and a YouTube recipe hijri calendar worth £5. Terms and conditions apply. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. I've got Ibrahim Khan with me. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. How's it going? What accent's that? I'm not really sure. I think it's a Scottish accent. I just like roll with it. Why not? So today we, uh, so a few weeks back we did uh, an episode with me where I was relaying my Oxford interview and like the whole process around that. And obviously we met at Oxford, so we both went there. Uh, so I thought it'd be good to turn the tables and have a chat to you about your whole Oxford experience, because I know that your like upbringing and stuff like that is slightly different to mine. Um, we ended up in the same place, but it'd be good just to hear about that whole thing and see if we can inspire our millions of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the millions are slightly overriding it. Uh-huh. Ambitious. Yeah. Million divided by about, you know, a million. Yeah. <laughs> my Oxford journey, where it all starts, I think, is from my mum. And my mum... Well, inevitably, it starts with your mum, right? Right, yeah, that's true. Or my mum's mum. Her mum's mum. Oh, quite. I don't <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There we go. Um, no, it's not Allah. That was the Quran, wasn't it? Yeah. I wasn't coming out of <laughs> Anyway... I think my journey started with my mom because she was really, really an inspirational figure and she instilled within us really from an early age that we need to like make the most out of ourselves. For it sounds us. like a start of a personal statement. No, my personal statement was, I can tell you the start of my personal statement. My personal awakening came as the first bombs dropped over Iraq at the start of the war, war on terror. Is that your first line? Something like that, yeah. Mashallah. This like act raised questions about like ethics, yeah, uh, politics, and also like economics. I don't know something like that uh, because <laughs> I was applying for PPE. Yeah, but anyway, that personal statement was used as an ex- example of an exceptional personal statement. Was it? Yeah, by um, my tutor. Really? Like, Do I have your permission to use it as like a out there example of like a really really exceptional That's one? Great. 
So, um, yeah. There we go. Maybe we should make it publicly available. Yeah, if you're applying to Oxford or Cambridge, then just let me know. Happy to share it with you. Yeah, so it starts with my mum because she was really someone who always instilled within us that we are born to serve the Muslim community, the Muslim ummah and the world. And we need to make the most of our talents because that's the whole point, right? It's a test that we've been given talents. We need to use them. And then I kind of uh, was quite a precocious child, to be honest. I'd walk around in my school blazer with like two books in my pocket, sort of thing, and like always reading books and um, doing all these kind of weird things. And one of these books I read was Who Runs This Place? by I think someone called Samson, John Samson or something. But anyway, a great book. And in it, it was quite interesting how a whole bunch of these people had essentially gone to Oxford and done PP. And I was like, all right, so, you know, I want to kind of have influence and like help the Muslim community. So maybe I should look into this PP, not business. And there's a whole bunch of prime ministers who've done it. There's like a whole bunch of BBC editors, bankers, lawyers, basically a who's who of who runs this place. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. And one of the teachers who was from Cambridge, who was leading the kind of gifted and talented Oxbridge type um, applications. She was from Cambridge and uh, I was quite a contrarian um, from an early age because I always like kind of, you know, just even now I'm like kind of like, I want to give an alternative perspective <laughs> on things. Right. So everyone else was applying to Cambridge. Like literally everyone else was applying to Cambridge because of her. And I was like... This is your college? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, forget this, I'm applying to Oxford. And so I did. Yeah, I, I knew from... Oh, and this was actually... I think I clocked that this is a potential option for me. There was a moment in my GCSEs. And by the way, like, you know, my, my story is unconventional, but it shouldn't, like, put off other people because, like, you don't have to do this. So I got... And again, I share this, you know genuinely not to brag because like you know at this point it's not really here nor there but it's important to share it because like there'll be muslims out there who are high achievers and who will have got really good gcses but who may not necessarily then go on to university even Mm. because you know they've not had someone who's been in a similar position who can now kind of tell them that you should have gone to you know you should go to university yeah so anyway i was predicted all a stars for my gcses and uh, there was like a catch up, I think year 11 or year 10, at the end of year 10 or year, start of year 11, where the form tutor was like, um, none of you guys are hitting your target grades about, apart from Ibrahim, and, which is ironic because he's like predicted all A stars. Uh, and I was like, all right. That's Why is that ironic? Because, you know, that's the hardest thing that you can possibly get. Or it means that you're the most gifted and therefore you're bound to. No, but like, so it's, uh, I don't know if irony is the right word for it, but like, it's, you would expect me to not be hitting my grades because it's the hardest to possibly hit them because they're all A stars. No, I would expect you to hit your Well, anyway, uh, so I was hitting my grades (laughs) and actually, sadly, I think my brother got more A stars than me ultimately. Did he? When he, uh, yeah. Which one? Mustafa? Yeah, I got like 11 and a half citizenship was a half GCSE which I uh, count uh, I think he got possibly 12 did he but I'm not really sure about that 
Nah, I'd really check the certificates if I were, especially knowing Mustafa. But yeah, GCSEs is, is useful to get lots of GCSEs. But then A-levels, I like, thing is, GCSEs, you can do well quite easily, but A-levels, you have to be quite strategic about it. And in my time, Oxbridge applications, were, there was no A-stars at A-level. Mm. And so I thought to myself, all right, how am I going to kind of stand out as an applicant? Because that's what it's about. And I'm not sure that I'm gifted enough to get like a full marks on maths or further maths. Mm. That's not me. I'm, I know I'm not a genius. I'm bright, but I'm not a genius. Mm. And I think that's quite important to kind of yeah, be is, kind yeah. of really self-aware of where your weaknesses are. Mm. And so I thought, well, what can I do then? So I mean, my, my standard A-levels were maths, further maths, physics, history. And, you know, they were all fine, properly taught and uh, did well on them. Then I thought, well, why don't I just pick off some extra A-levels that are quite easy? Uh, so critical thinking we did after school, which was really useful, very good for thinking about thinking and like learning how to think. So you should, you know, if you guys are thinking about uh, applying to Oxbridge or anything, frankly, in life, mm-hmm. just do critical thinking as an A-level. It's very useful. So that was five. Then I spoke Urdu already. So I did that. And I got my mom because I, I didn't like reading Urdu. I could read it, but it's slow, isn't it? So I basically, there was a text uh, that we had to read, Urdu text, mm. and I got an English translation of it <laughs> and read that <laughs> and got my mum to read me the Urdu translation as right. a bedtime story. Really? Yeah. So, um, and my grandmother used to listen with me and it was about like this Miratulurus, it was like the bride's mirror and it was about how this girl gets married into this new family and it's all, all about her like, bookkeeping and like how she runs the family and like gets her brother married off to the like the younger sister and stuff right it's like and my grandmother was loving it really yeah it was like one of those um tv dramas yeah she, uh, yeah exactly she was absolutely loving it anyway that happened and then arabic i did my arabic a level and i knew that i wasn't going to get an a in that because my arabic wasn't at that level at that stage but uh, i kind of i scraped a b there and then, uh, so how many is that? That's uh, four, six, five, five, six. And then critical thinking, Arabic, and that's seven. Uh, so, and then after my year 12, because like I'm quite a contrarian, most people like drop A-levels. <laughs> so I thought, right, what what can I do? That's outrageous. I'll just take another one. <laughs> I actually did this. I was quite like a contrarian child, mm. as you can kind of sense. You're not like contrarian anymore, though. No, not really. Apart you've, from on insurance, you've mellowed. I know. I'm basically like middle of the road now. Yeah, I got the all the contrarian out of me in uh, year twelve. Yeah, quite. So my head of sixth form called me in. He's like, like genuinely, what are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> you got like seven A levels, which is like three more than anyone else, and uh, you're like you're taking on another one. It's on you if you like screw up. And uh, I was like, fine. It was quite strategic as well. And like, this is also, this is really important. Like more A-level sounds impressive, yeah. but critical thinking, I've already done the AS at GCSE because we had this after school club. Urdu is easy. Arabic is, you know, I'd done it over my summer holidays. Mm. So it, that was, no, it wasn't too much work. So it sounds impressive to say seven, but really it was just, you know, it was a little bit of extra work. That was mm. it. Mm. And then the RS one, religious studies, I figured that I looked at the curriculum because I was looking over um, the people who were working on some RS stuff and I realized it was all philosophy and Islam. 
I was like, I'm reading about philosophy already for PPE. Yeah. And uh, I'm a Muslim. So I can't go far wrong with this. <laughs> Little did I know. You know, I just looked at the course content on that. And there's a lesson about hubris in this, by the way. So I looked at the course content on that. I was like, this is, I can do this. <laughs> did a few after school sessions. And in the January exam, I did my AS exam to catch up with everyone else. And there was like a few people doing resits for the AS from last year. And uh, I got like, I think I got like nearly full marks really? for the AS level, whatever it was, philosophy, I think it was mainly. And I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. But then in the final exam, I was like, all right, if I've got nearly full marks on AS, I'll, you know, A2 will be a breeze. Mm. But in my final exam, I managed to get a U. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this was the Islam one as well. So clearly oh, not the most. Oh, my God. I think it was because... I kind of answered all the questions like how like a Muslim know, would. Yeah, like with like proper detailed analysis of like, you know, these are the sources and like there's this kind of conflict of opinion or something. And all they were looking for were like, you know, your standard answers as yeah. part of like their mark scheme, mm. which I hadn't like even bothered to read for this one. Mm. So I was just shocked. I was like, how did I manage to get a U? I got it remarked, came back with a U again. <laughs> So anyway, I ended up with a B overall for that, which was sad. But yeah, that was my kind of A-level background. And I think it's important because, like Mohsen, your your story is, uh, it's, I think both of us are extremes in many ways, mm. because like your story is like you never even thought about applying for Oxford. Mm. And for me, like I'd thought about applying for Oxford for a long time. Yeah. And uh, But most people is like somewhere in the middle mm. where it's kind of an option and they kind of then actively pursue it and do you think so i don't know yeah probably i don't know I, I i genuinely don't know yeah so and then in terms of the interview which is the actual bit that we were talking supposed to talk about yeah what happened so applied to oxford there's like different stages isn't there there's a personal statement so whack that out read a whole load of books um i was very lucky to go to this oxbridge open day in newcastle of all places and my future tutor, uh, Dave Leal, was there. And I asked him afterwards, I was like, oh, what book do you recommend if I'm going to apply for PPE? And he said, read Anarchy, State and Utopia by Robert Nozick. I was like, all right, I'll read that. And uh, it was a very hard book to read. Um, and it used like all sorts of words I'd never ever come across. And I don't think I've ever come across since. Yeah. But it was really worth it. Like it really taught me about how to... Uh, think like a philosopher, but also uh, just give me, gave me a structure about thinking about political theory, which is at the heart of PPE. And and I kind of based my personal statement around it and I got through the first stage. Then there was the, the obviously the test, the TSA, thinking skills assessment, that went fine as well, and rocked up to the interview. Uh, the interview, there was two sets of interviews, one was with, so there's three three tutors in each, philosophy, politics, and economics, and they all kind of chime in whenever. The first one was quite nice. There was two ladies, and uh, who I don't think I've ever met since, and uh, Dave Leal. Uh, and I vividly remember the first question came out. The first interview went very well, I thought. Second interview, not so well. Although with the first interview, when I walked in, they were like, you're not disabled. You've got your legs. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Uh, 
And then it turns out that the next guy who came in was on a wheelchair. Oh, so they just mixed up. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what? What's happened here? Did you for a moment think, oh, I've got in on a technicality and now they're going to kick me out? I was just really confused. I don't know what's going on. And yeah, so I, I got in there and there's three of them sat in front of you. You're sat in like a chair, comfy chair, and they just kind of, you know, say, all right, we're going to give you a few questions and see how you respond. And then they gave me a thought experiment, which was you're the head of um, the prison service and uh, you have the choice to give all prisoners omega-3 tablets as part of their daily diet. And omega-3 tablets will be obviously beneficial for their health, but it won't make them like geniuses or anything. We're supposed to help with like, you know, brain function and stuff. Do you do it? And that was a question. What did you say? I've asked this to a whole bunch of people, actually. And funnily enough, I think you can, from the answer to this question, you can kind of work out if that person is potential Oxbridge material or not. Right. It really is a good question to kind of weed, weed people out because it's a question about, I think, how people think about it. Mm. There's no right answer. No. But it's about, like, structure. Yeah. And uh, so the what I said was... Right, so what's the whole purpose of prison? In part, it's about rehabilitation. In part, it's about retribution. So if you go down the route of rehabilitation, then you need to be nice to these prisoners and, you know, give them the best opportunity, etc. So in that case, you should give them omega-3 tablets. Mm. And then obviously the retribution side of things is a punishment. Mm. You shouldn't give them anything extra. And omega three tablets wouldn't make sense. And then Dave came back with something. Well, there's a twist there, isn't there? What's that? What if, in order to increase the sense of uh, retribution, you give them these omega three tablets so that they have a heightened sense of understanding, and that way they're they're able to perceive better the condition that they're in, which is actually a state of uh, yeah. That's a fair, fair enough point, and that would then come in down into retribution. Yeah, you'd give it to them to retribute to increase the retribution. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Anyway, what then basically happened was Dave gave the other side of the argument, to which then I then was like, "Oh, okay, that's a fair point." So, what was the other side? I can't remember. He gave something like wishy washy about rehabilitation. I was like, "I'm having none of it." retribution all the way but oh and then no, the, I, I pulled out the classic move i was like oh well in that case um what i might do is i might kind of you know think about it from like uh you know ultimately what are you who are you doing getting the retribution for it's for the public so as the head of the prison service i'd like kind of try and get like a democratic decision on it and get like the public's input input on like a referendum. Yeah. Or like get a minister, ministerial decision on it. <laughs> yeah. As a, you know, represent, elected representative. Mm. And so then that, that was that. And then they're like, there's a few other kind of economics and uh, politics questions, which I can't even, oh yeah, someone was like, or oh, would you, was it ban the niqab? I think that was a question. Really? Would you ban the niqab in France. Huh? Uh, this oh. was a an ethics question or? politics no no i think i don't think it was would you ban the niqab it was uh, oh yeah that was it it was like there's some riots happening in france and uh, you know how would you deal with it or something along those lines mm. and then you know the topic turned to like people who are underprivileged and you know downtrodden in that community and in france that's often the muslim community 
migrants from the northern African regions. Mm. And so then we got into this whole discussion and uh, I stood firm. I was like, yeah, don't ban the niqab, jog on. And uh, yeah, saw off that challenge. Uh, and then, yeah, so I walked out of that interview. I was thinking, yeah, that was all right, that. And then the second interview was... Uh, and by the way, it's, it's quite an interesting, slightly disconcerting experience at Oxford because I went there alone, uh, as most people do, and you meet with a whole bunch of, like, you meet with a different class mm. of student, Yeah, which, like, I grew up in the Northeast, went to a public school, as in, like, not... not state UK, school, yeah. And, um, you know, our state school took a whole kind of snapshot of the whole local area in terms of in, intake like it was selecting in terms of it had entrance exams but it it took people who weren't you know passing the test as well i think you just took the test for the kind of the data and so i was educated in and grew up uh in very much like a kind of working class area and but you turn up to oxford and suddenly you're like someone has turned up in his school blazer, which is like a stripy yellow and blue blazer. <laughs> Call that Hugo. and Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? And, uh, you know, you've got the ox, you've got the di- dinner hall with, you know, field marshal Hague's portrait, portrait hanging there, like Michael Palin's portrait hanging there. Mm. And you've got butlers and stuff, uh, who's serving you out stuff. And you've got like, Etonians walking around and even, you know, it's, cr- it's not crude, but it's like, as a kid coming from the northeast you even notice how the people are like more beautiful and more handsome um because they've just had a better you know upbringing or they've had a better health you know and diet or whatever or society has told us that these are the people who are conventionally beautiful sounds like um, a dickens novel is it's very interesting and uh, and then at the same time in in this college you have like the working class still there, mm. but now as the gardener or as the yeah, chef yeah. or as a something the else. butler or whatever. So anyway, that's by the by. So I was like, okay, that, this is all, you know, curious stuff. Yeah. Uh, second interview was much harder. So the second interview was led by this absolute don called Anthony Caracas, huh. who uh, taught David Cameron. So I, I was applying to Bracenose, which was David Cameron's old college, because like, you know, me being the kind of, we need to get to you need to get Muslims into like yeah. you know places of power. Let's apply for PP. Where should I apply for PP? Well, who is the current current prime minister at the time? David yeah. Cameron. Yeah. Let's just go for that. Um, also, I think they had a cricket pitch and a squash court. That was quite important for me. Is a squash court in Brazos? It was waterlogged the entire time I was there. Uh, so it was a real letdown. Is it like that? Yeah, but they did. Yeah. So. Second interview was led by Anthony Caracas, who was an absolute legend. He advised the Greek government on economics, uh, which, uh, you know, is not necessarily a great place to be. <laughs> and he taught David Cameron, which, again, as a Labour supporter, is not, you know, ideal. And uh, he was Greek himself. And he used to chain smoke in his tutorials for like genuinely like for three hours on the trot really and uh he'd ask well i guess it'd take that to get through a tutorial with you wouldn't it well probably does yeah i once told him that um there's something in economics called the islm model Mm. uh and i was like (laughs) (laughs) you know what this is like i was like oh i've not really studied that 
but I have uh, studied the ISLAM. It's <laughs> a very comprehensive model. <laughs> should think about it. And then I set him off. Uh, he sent. He spent like half an hour explaining how basically there was like some research he'd done like twenty years ago, which had formed the bedrock of Islamic finance ever since. What? Which is a massive blag. It's not true, but you know, classic. classic let's, let's get him on the. Um, let's get him on the podcast. You'd do it as well. It'd be a four-hour podcast. Should I do it? Why not? Maybe I should reach out. To well, we're going to Oxford, aren't we? Yeah, maybe we should reach out. He'd love it. Honestly, let's do it. And uh, one time this guy was like, oh, I'm not happy with... So every time at the start, when you started tutorials with him, he'd ask you, are you okay for me to smoke? And everyone's like scared of him, so they'd say yes. Yeah. Um, one time this guy said no. <laughs> and he completely ignored him and just carried on. <laughs> and then this other time, this other uh, guy... Uh, ex-Pauline, uh, same Pauls, he uh, turned up with a cigar. The student? Yeah. Right. And just for like, because obviously Anthony, like Tony, just smoke. So he just lit up his cigar and started smoking. All right. And just like casually and just carried on as if it was a tutorial. And Tony loved it. Did he? Yeah, he was absolutely loving it. Um, but anyway, this, this guy was interviewing me. And this was quite an aggressive tutorial uh, interview because... You know, Anthony's like very, he's a force of nature. Mm. And the other guy was my philosophy tutor, who's now the head of philosophy at Oxford, uh, the philosophy faculty. Mm. He's an expert in the philosophy of quantum physics. Right. Okay. He's done like a PhD in physics uh, and philosophy. So he's like clever. Yeah. And so he would, he was like coming in with some aggressive like questions. And they were all, they were both like pressing me. Right. I'm like, well, why would you do this? And well, that doesn't make sense. What's that all about? You know, uh, you know, trying to put me under pressure. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I felt alive. I felt like, okay, this is good. Yeah. This is, uh, what do you mean? I always think that, I mean, whether it's like an Oxford interview, whether it's a job interview or like whatever it is, I feel like sometimes if you come away from it thinking, God, I was put under the cosh there, it's usually a good sign, I think. Yeah. Because it means like, A, they think you're worth them actually engaging yeah and b they obviously just want to see how far they can push yeah. you and what you're made of yeah so i walked out of that and i didn't really know what to think i was like well that was experience mm. and then that evening tony caracas was standing there like jack the ripper in his long overcoat and his top hat yeah you'd like this like top hat that you'd used to wear just standing in the dark kind of smokers area uh in brace nose and I was walking past him and I kind of just, you know, I didn't even see him. And they just kind of, you know, saw the red of his cigarette. I was like, oh, hello. And then he pulled me over. He was like, come over here. He, I think he just wanted someone to chat to while you're smoking. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, what are you going to do in your gap year? Because I'd applied for a deferred entry. And I was like, I gave him this spiel about what I was doing. It's quite flattering that he remembered. Yeah. He was kind of open with me. He was like, basically, we're thinking about whether or not like whether to give you a deferred entry or a like just you know straight, straight up. yeah because you know, we need to be confident that you'd be good enough not just against this cohort but also against the next cohort yeah to get in. yeah um and uh i was like yeah so this is what i'm doing um and like my memory of that is not as clear like the exact words aren't clear but that is the genuine gist that i got from what he said mm. But he was someone that you kind of, even then I kind of knew that he seemed a bit unreliable. Yeah. 
<laughs> like if he was in a chain of narrators in a hadith, how would you how would you like rate him? Dive. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, so so I was like, okay, so that's positive sign, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But like take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. I genuinely didn't like I wasn't thinking, oh I've got in here. Yeah. yeah. Uh and then the final, I suppose the final bit of the story is that then I went on Umrah with my uh, dad because he was working over there at the time then. And whilst I was at the Umrah, uh, I was doing the Tawaf and I made Dua. This was the first time I'd seen the Kaaba. Mm. So I was like, you know, properly in the, in the zone, crying and all sorts of stuff. Uh, lots of like, Iman like boosts going on Mashallah. spiking like our subscriber list <laughs> and uh, I was like I asked Allah you know if, if it's good for me if Oxford is good for me then you know get me in and if it's not then you know don't and uh, we went back to the hotel room and we were like you know just shaving our heads off uh, hair off casually and uh, my mum called at that moment and she was like yeah the, the applicator the Offer has just come in, and uh, they've given you a place. Wow. And I was like, that is the power of dua. Subhanallah. So, there we are. I'm lost for words. That's the story. Fantastic. Alhamdulillah. And you've been regretting it ever since because you met me there. No, I've been, uh, I think that that's what le- that's led us here. That's true. I mean, who knows what would have happened. Who knows? That fateful barbecue in St. Katz. Yeah, indeed. That evening in October. Is that actually where we met? Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? We should go back. We should. Symbolically. I'm quite looking forward to this Oxford trip that we're planning. Yeah, should be good. Inshallah. It's not the same, but yeah. I suppose we should give like tangible take-homes. Yeah, let's. Uh, I think one tangible take-home is, like, if you're applying to Oxbridge, listen to this and, like, take all the kind of lessons and tips and stuff that mm. you can. Mm. People, many people have gone before. You reach out to the Oxford ISOC. Uh, they'll be really good people to put you in touch with, like, mentors for you uh, who are studying there right now. They'll be able to really help uh, do that. And uh, people whose kids, you want them to be go to Oxbridge, um, firstly, I think that's a great idea because it's good for CVs, good for like uh, the quality of the education, good for networks and just a great experience, full stop. And secondly, the way to do that is by obviously their grades, but also just like making rounded people, mm. confident, self-starting, rounded people. That's actually the key, I think. Yeah. Any other things? I want to reinforce that, you know, you just said it's good for CV. In this day and age, there's a lot of hype around, you know, like CV blind interviews and like all this stuff. A lot of things about diversity. It's almost like an anti, you know, anti elitist thing. Yeah. But honestly, like my perception, and I don't think it's controversial to say this, uh, in like the corporate sphere and just like anywhere in life, uh, even to this day, the like the brands that you associate yourself with. Honestly, they do define you. I mean, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, there is a difference between introducing yourself as like, you know, ex Oxford or like ex McKinsey or, you know, whatever. No matter like what your talents are underneath and stuff like that, people do make judgments about you as an individual. If you have got, you know, the ability to associate yourself with these really, really strong brands. 
And so sometimes like you you just have to play the game, and there definitely is something in going to places like Oxford. Like we absolutely loved it. We really took a lot of benefit from it, and I think we continue to take a lot of benefit from it. So you know, forget like it's good. Like all these steps that are being taken to promote diversity and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day there is a lot of value still attached to strong brands so it's absolutely nothing to be like shy about as well like, i think some people go too far the other way so yeah so let's uh, let's call it a day there i think and uh, we'll see you inshallah in an episode to come soon salam alaikum if you got this far you must have enjoyed the podcast which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well inshallah be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.